0: Hi, I'm Princess Rara. And I'm Dara, the Electro-Khaleesi. And this is Pink Kink, the podcast where we talk about the pretty, p- twisted side of kink. Today's episode is produced by our electrifying pink kinksters. Thank you, The ESW, Jay, Brianna Lynn, Daddy J, Embers, Fabe, Blossom, William P., Lady, Claire, Jam Today, Mr. N. and Mrs. Jess, Mistress Good Girl, Lady Blooding, Six and Eight, Primal Empress, Kaze, Harley Gentleman, Roxy, Mistress Francesca, Slut Queenie, Butte Payne, Manda Panda, Cat, Stefan, Brooklyn B., Serenity Deb, Robert, Ruby R., Christopher, Jess, Sam, Kilted Sir, and Schrodinger's Kink. Pink Kink runs off the generosity of our devoted patrons. As a patron, you will become a member of our special Discord server, receive some adorable Pink Kink stickers, as well as have access to a monthly behind-the-scenes podcast. In addition, our impactful and electrifying Pink Kinksters will get special audio and video episodes. And finally, patrons at our highest tier will be recognized as producers both here on the podcast and on our website. If you would like to become a patron, you can visit us at patreon.com slash pinkkinkpodcast or click the link at pinkkinkpodcast.com. When we did the episode of pain on purpose, Dara, you asked a really good question. I did. (laughs) You did, I know. It happens. Occasionally you ask good questions. You did something good. And you asked the question, at what point does pain on purpose cross the line? into unhealthy self-harm. So was I the inspiration for this entire episode? You were the inspiration. Oh my, well, I don't have a speech prepared, but I guess I can thank all the little people. Well, me, because I'm the little people. (laughs) Um, But I got very lucky and I came across this class, which unfortunately I could not take because of my schedule. But I asked the person who teaches this class if they would come speak to us because this class is actually called Healthy Hurting. Okay, so my first thought is that seems like an oxymoron. Yeah, for you. Well, yeah, because you don't like pain. Well, no, <laughs> but I love it because I bruise like a fucking peach. <laughs> so I would like to introduce AJ, who is going to talk to us about this very subject. Hello. I don't bruise like a peach. It's very frustrating. <laughs> I don't. I don't do well with that. I. I even, I got my birth control implant the other day. She was preparing me for bruising. Nothing. Oh, I'm so sorry. Because like, when I I think I'm going to finally get to bruise, it's so sad. So mad. I feel so cheated. Okay. So, um, why is this? talking, talking into to my her Mike is talking to her boob. Okay, hang on a second. We need to do some balancing here because apparently my mic was... Your boob has something it wants to no, say. Really, my boob was trying to talk. Um,
1: the I, first case. Hold
0: on. Let me just... Let me just... <laughs>
1: Okay, I have to adjust. There we go.
0: Maybe the, the balance. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, technical difficulties are going to be resolved soon with mm-hmm. talking tits, apparently. Uh, so, when I got blood work done, I had to do like, I think I had a blood draw every other day for a week, and they couldn't do it in, I don't know which arm it was, but they had to do it constantly in one arm every two days, every other day. And I thought my entire arm was just – it was black and blue. Like, elbow – the entire elbow was destroyed for that week. I even looked up online, like, pictures of what to expect. Nothing. I'm so mad. (laughs) Well, let's take a minute here and let's share AJ's credentials so that people – Understand that we have gone to the expert on this subject matter. Okay, they should understand we always go to the expert, but we'll let her say it. (laughs) So, um, yeah, hi, I'm AJ. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a psychotherapist. I'm actually a sex therapist who works primarily with the kink community. I'm in the D.C. area, and that's where most of my clients are. I just want to say that you actually have my dream job. That is precisely what I w- really actually wanted to do. If I didn't have the current job, I did. I do. You want I would to be a sex therapist. Yes, I've always said. That. Okay, sorry for interrupting. I just, <laughs> I like what you do. It's. I like what I do too, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So I get to work with really cool people I get to be there as they make discoveries about themselves and their sex lives and their you know what they enjoy and what they want and all kinds of really cool stuff and help people create new relationships and discover how to kind of integrate DS into their life and all kinds of really amazing things. And I'm just really kind of honored to be there during those moments and Outside of that, or I guess kind of in conjunction with that, I have been in the kink community for probably about 17 years at this point. I basically kind of, the minute I was legally allowed to be, there I was. And (laughs) um, it has been, you know, incredible. It's been a huge part of my life. And I've been teaching for probably the past seven-ish years So I teach mostly about kind of the intersection between kink and mental health, but I also teach some kind of bottoming skills classes, uh, some violet wand classes, and a lot on like kind of mental and edge play stuff. And one of my favorites is actually uh, humiliation without body negativity, because like fat liberation is also my jam. So we we can bring her back. She she teaches (laughs) a lot of really awesome sounding classes. I, I like that one. Uh, Okay. Can she be my birthday present episode? Yes, it's your birthday episode. You can schedule whatever you want for your birthday episode. I would be happy to come back and teach about that. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Like, I love those topics. It's, It's really fun. Yeah. I am, like I said, I'm very lucky to be able to like do something that I really love and that really brings me a lot of happiness. What made you decide to do a class on healthy herding? So, um, I work a lot with people who have that question, right? It's been a question in my own personal life as well. What, you know, what does it look like when you engage in masochism, especially if you kind of have a history of self-harm, right? What if that, what if your interaction and kind of your experience with pain has not always been positive? You know, what does that look like? What does it look like to navigate wanting to interact with pain in a positive way so that it's a really like wonderful force in your life right most of the time we we do kink because it's fun right we don't we don't do kink because it makes us miserable i mean sometimes it's a fun kind of miserable but (laughs) (laughs) i (laughs) think Okay, you have to say you're talking to a diehard masochist and somebody who avoids pain at all costs. So you may be seeing a lot of weird looking faces coming from her because she doesn't understand this concept of why we would want to do something that causes us pain. Case in point point. got hit with a what, hammer type thing? (laughs) Like one of those big I swear to god, it was one of the ones that you hit and it goes ding and it hits the bell. Oh, a mallet? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Oh, but exactly. it was a really big one. Uh-huh. And I screamed so loud it stopped a scene. <laughs> oh, no. And I got hit with it and says, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you see oh. these weird faces when you're talking, it's me just going, what the fuck is <laughs> wrong with you? That's why she asked the question about... Well, when does it cross the line? Never dawned on me to ever even think of it as being self-harm. I'm just yeah. like, I like it. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. And so I think like a lot of people, right, whether whether or not it's something you like or don't like, I think it, your perspective changes a lot based on like your personal history, right? What has your interaction with pain been like up until this point? A lot of people who have like chronic pain, they enjoy being able to engage in pain in a way that feels like it's in their control, right? So that there's like agency around how they are accessing things that might hurt, right? Because there's, there's a lot of pain for many of them that they can't control. Um, so, so it can be a kind of an exercise in autonomy. Um, but, you know, I think our histories just really impact, ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a, gi- I'm a giant dork. I laugh at all my own jokes. No, oh, that's great. cool! <laughs> I love it. Um, but you know, our own histories, all like they always impact. and They always have a, an effect on on what we do. And you know, I think with kink, especially when when it is such an intense experience, that kind of is even more um, more prevalent. Let's. Well, okay, so that. What about people that are massively accident-prone and have never had a pain experience that they like? <laughs> that might be a conversation about consent. <laughs> Stubbing your toe is not consensual. Uh, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> walking into walls and trying to walk around a table and catching it with your thip. It, thip? Speak much? Uh, I think that was hip or thigh. <laughs> yeah. That like corner of the table right into that. like. So see, I love pain. Love me some pressure point play. You know, beat my thighs. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to walk into the table. That's non-consensual pain. But I do it all the time. I have li- right now, literally, you can see this right now. I have like a scrape across my finger from the goddamn banister in the hallway. <laughs> So I tripped over my cat's, like, scratching thing months ago. This was months ago. And um, tripped over it, broke part. It's got, like, wooden pieces on the sides. Broke part of the wooden piece with my shin. Almost no bruising. I had, like, the tiniest bit of kind of yellow markings on my shin. Nothing else. So I literally have, like, broken wood with my body, and it hasn't bruised. Well, so have I with a wooden spoon. (laughs) You did. Yeah, I broke a wooden spoon on my ass. Well, somebody else broke it. I just, my ass, or my ass did. I don't know. One of the questions that I find myself asking a lot, and I do it in the middle of a scene, and I've said it out loud to the people who are watching. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me that I love this? Because it's like, I I think many of us masochists are like, wonder that, you know, like, what is mentally going on with us that we are... Seeking out somebody hurting us and loving it. So if there was more money for grants and research available, I think a lot of people would love to know the answer to that. Because the reality is we kind of just don't know. Um, We know there there has been some research around why people engage in self-harm. But obviously, that's a really different experience, right? There just there just isn't a lot of research. There's some things around kind of like folks who seek uh, like adrenaline type activities. But in terms of kind of masochism and like how that shows up, we just don't have much research. There's, there's barely any research starting to get better, right? But there's just not a lot of research around kink in general, right? There's wide ranges of even just the demographics of how many people might be kinky right like we can we have like a 40 point spread between a bunch of different research on like yes this percentage of the population enjoys kink so it, you know i think it's just a really it, there are just so many unknowns um especially about sex in general well first you have to get people to admit that they do kink in bdsm so that's yeah. probably the hardest part i would totally mm-hmm. sign up for a study I know you would. I would, I'm because I, I'm just, I'm really curious as to, um, you know, because I'm not, I don't come from a background of self-harm. I've never done self-harm. So this coming out of seemingly nowhere, because I, I discovered kink later in life, it was um, basically already an old woman by the time I discovered kink, I was 50. So it's sort of been like, huh. But when I look back and I think I used to, I used to lift weights and I used to run like five miles a day. So obviously I've had masochistic tendencies that I never realized because, you know, we don't think of, of, you know, jogging as a masochist activity. It 100% activity. is. I was going <laughs> to say, I think the other people in the room absolutely think of jogging as a masochistic activity. Any form of exercise is a masochistic activity. Yes. but yeah i would i would i would be curious to to figure out i guess i'm back into therapy for me right yeah (laughs) i'm just gonna let you have a therapy session on air and i'll just sit here and laugh (laughs) just just totally go for it um no i mean i think like right people always have that question about or it's a really common question that people have around like fetishes right like where do those develop and um and uh, you know even broadly, about like orientation, right? How does orientation kind of work? What What wires our brains in those particular ways? And, and the reality is we just we just kind of don't know, right. So much of the human brain is, is still a giant mystery. And you know, they're starting to tease apart pieces of it in other areas, but sex is pretty low priority, unfortunately. So, um, so we just don't know for a lot. Them, I was going to say, you'd think it'd be a higher priority <laughs> no, for most know, people. Right? Yeah. Actually, I was, I was just listening earlier today to someone break down a lot of, uh, studies that they were doing about, about like the neurobiology of sex stuff, which was fascinating, but yeah, they just have a really hard time kind of getting funding for it because a lot of funding is dictated by, uh insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and things like Mm. that and they don't particularly care about sex or you know helping people have healthy and pleasurable sex so but they'll fund viagra if you actually know the story behind viagra it can do you know it can help women with their period cramps yep but they decided to market it instead for men's erections because that's way more important way more important than than our monthly i could use one Anybody got some for me? I could seriously use a damn Viagra once a month. because oh, I thought holy you were talking shit. about an erection. Well, that would be a bonus. Like, we can all use an erection sometimes. <laughs> could you get a clitoral erection from Viagra? I don't know. Let's do a scientific experiment. No, okay, we it's, should experiment from, it's for science. Yeah, so Viagra Wait, is when? a... God, I'm going to show my lack of medical knowledge. Uh, Viagra is, I believe, a vasodilator. So essentially it increases blood flow. Yeah. Um, so which is which is the same thing that arousal does right if you have a vulva and a clitoris um, the things that make them kind of quote ready for sex is increased blood flow to the area so it does you know engorge your labia um, and you know stimulate uh, lubrication production and things like that and your your clitoris gets more sensitive because it's engorged with blood so it's it's and kind it's of the thyroid. same uh, principles or like, mechanics that are happening Uh, i really want to try this now (laughs) now all that being said i have no fucking clue if taking viagra would actually work for somebody like would have the same effect on somebody who doesn't have a penis um but like the actual mechanisms of like what happens as bodies get ready to have sex is is that blood rushes to that area Okay, that makes sense. I say we try it for science. I say we it's do for science. I agree. Please I'm, I'm allowed. I could be a am giving medical advice to just go pop Viagra on this. <laughs> we we, we are not giving medical not advice. advice. There's our, our caveat here. We are not, not giving medical advice. advice. Nope. This is just me it, and Ra Ra. This fucking around. this is, purpose is for entertainment and some hopefully education. <laughs> some education. All right. Well, I've also already decided that if you ever do a, a research on like why f- why little, like why do people choose like why be littles, I'm mm-hmm. I'm ready to be your test subject. Done. I can guarantee I will not because research is Damn. hard. Um, there's <laughs> so much math. It's unbelievable. Okay. Yeah. See. Lots that's of statistics. Math. Math also sucks. We're (laughs) anti-math on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Research takes a very specific type of person. Too much data. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get to the question of the day. Is masochism self-harm or is it something else? So, spoiler alert, (laughs) I will not have any solid answers for you today. I can accept that. That's fine. As long as we can get a discussion going, I think that's. (laughs) I mean, it is right. It's something that a lot of times people really want a, like a binary answer around, right. Of like, or, or, you know, a flow chart of like, if this, then this, then, you know, to kind of um, answer in a yes or no way. And the reality is that it's different for everyone. There's a lot of different factors. There's a lot of different contexts. Um, and those can change, right? Like they can change person to person. They can change day to day and hour to hour. And, um, so the reality is that like, it can be masochism can be self-harm and it also can be free of self-harm, right? You can engage in masochism in a headspace and in a way that is very different from self-harm. Part of what we talk about, when I teach the class, is is really thinking about kind of the context and um, what they each do for you. That's kind of one of the biggest things because it's a very right. It's a very internal process. You know, nobody's going to be able to like stand outside of your scene and with a checklist and be like, "Yep, that was great masochism," or like, "Nope, that looked like self harm." <laughs> so it's a really like internal process. Can you can you give us like a little hint? of what those two, what the difference is between those? Sure. in like headspace wise, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the meat of, of most of this discussion. There are, so first of all, I always like to, to start kind of any of this discussion with the acknowledgement that, that for many people and for most people that engage in self-harm, there is a benefit, Right. They, they are doing it because it is some sort of coping mechanism. It may be something that has kept them alive for years, right? It may be something that helped them get through a tremendously difficult time in their life. It may be a way that they survived. It may be a way that they coped with situations, right? So I think to, to immediately dismiss all self-harm activities as like only negative is doing people a big disservice, And there are a lot of ways that masochism and self-harm have a lot of overlapping things. You know, there's lots of overlap in kind of the things that they might look like, but also in in things like ritualizing them, um, having it be a very like intense moment. Um, A lot of times people might engage in both of them to feel this kind of wash of calm over them, right? A lot of times masochists, even if they don't have a history of self harm, recognize that like wave of like when they slip into that that space where there's that like delicious pain happening, right? There's this kind of wash of calm and you float away. There's this endorphin release. She, she, she's she's <laughs> reading my mind. It's scary. <laughs> and and then also for many people, it's also an, a way to access kind of care and tenderness. Right. There's there might be a lot of care and tenderness, whether it's even within the scene. Right. Somebody somebody, you know, hurting you, but also praising you um, or afterwards when you're getting aftercare or kind of being tended to. And for many people who engage in self-harm, it's also a way to do that. Right. It, It is a way to facilitate and kind of give themselves permission to give themselves care. Right. Taking care of the wounds that they may have just created might be easier than than kind of doing other pieces of care for themselves. So there's lots of ways that they really overlap. And I think it's important to recognize that and to also realize that that the process of kind of teasing them apart really lies in the differences. Um, That's where we really kind of see how can I engage in masochism in a way that really feels different and really kind of shows up in my life differently? Okay, cool. I like that. It's, um, again, it's all about context, right? Well, it, it's fascinating because, you know, what you were talking about sounded very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily the, the self-care side of it, but the, like the coping mechanism and the centering. I, I talk a lot about I use the impact to center me. Like if I find my life is a little tumultuous and crazy, having getting through an impact scene just sort of recenters me and, and gives me strength again. And it's interesting because back in the day when I used to go running, that's what running did for me. Like you could take the time running. You don't think you just run and I listened to music and it would clear my head and I could start fresh without, all the pressure. Is that why you have a uh, impact playlist now? That's well, yeah. Cause the music, it's all part of that, that headspace, like the right music going along um, with the whole thing. And obviously I had to stop running because r- running hurt my body more than the impact. scenes. <laughs> what it was doing to my knees is not pretty, uh, but I've ab- you been know, able you to learned when it crossed the line. <laughs> uh, um, I talk about self harm. I was self harming myself with the running. But with impact, it just, it provides all of that for me. It's one of the reasons I tell people I don't necessarily want to do aftercare because I don't want to go back to that starting point. I want to stay where I want, where the scene got me. Yeah, that's, that makes totally, totally makes sense. Um, And the, in terms of like what's happening kind of physiologically to our bodies during typically bottoming for scenes is really similar to what happens physiologically when people are experiencing a runner's high. So like the actual kind of f- physical process and the, you know, the, those delicious like chemical dumps that <laughs> have happen and kind of course through our systems are, you know, comparable and the same process as what's happening during that. And then, you know, on the, on the other side of the slash um, tops, often experience what we call it like a flow state where there's almost like a pinpointing of concentration and it's it's it becomes a very kind of focused uh process that that those actually are one piece of research and literature we have about about kink and about just kind of those different experiences which is pretty huh. cool that's Science. okay <laughs> no like because i just realized how you've seen me Get yeah. into a zone when I'm topping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So wait, does that mean that it it's got like the same benefits physically? Um, you mean like in terms of? I mean you you don't typically get the same benefits running as being. I meant like chemically and stuff. Like no. <laughs> I think we we did some of this before. Like we've done episodes on the chemical cocktail and everything before. I know that running is healthier for your body than getting beat. That's like, you should have seen what it was doing to my knees. Okay. But besides that, if it was the same, um, but can it be kind of helpful? So um, I will say, and and I'm going to do that very frustrating thing that sometimes people do it. And go tell you what's in the literature. Um, You know, like I think personally, yes, I think there can be really, positive benefits to engaging in both. And typically when people are kind of engaging in things that, that do create these intense um, kind of maybe joyous is a good word, right? These intense kind of euphoric states um, we often do see that they, they typically have kind of um, positive benefits elsewhere in their lives, right? They, they may have um, kind of ripple effect Outside of just those moments, okay. You know, it, it's funny because when I would run five miles a day, nobody questioned whether I was self-harming, right? Mm-hmm. They I'll, would. <laughs> it, but in, in, in all, you, you might have questioned my sanity, but still do that, right? But people look at it, oh, you're exercising, you're doing good things for your body. Nobody, I mean, and I'm also old enough that I come from the heyday of high-impact aerobics. Mm. I actually, it was when I, when I was in college. I made some extra money on the side by teaching high impact aerobic classes at the local gym. It's where I met my first muscles. <laughs> so um, oh, thank you. Yeah, no. but nobody, nobody ever said to me, "Oh, you're you're doing self harm. That's unhealthy." And yet, on the masochistic side, in the things that I do, you know, people question it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so we place so many moral judgments and like value on on all of these different things right like when something looks the same outside of you know maybe a sexual realm there's no questions asked but you know somebody engaging in in you know something that kind of gives you that benefit or that you know masochistic activity in a sexual realm it becomes stigmatized or you know i mean everything is is so contextual and and it's it's tough, especially when especially when sex gets involved. Yeah, so much judgment with. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> if somebody in the past actually did self harm, cut themselves, whatever, is BDSM masochism a safe substitute or not? Really, here's the thing: more often than not, the folks who come to this class or who Ask me these questions. Their goal is to engage in masochism that feels different from self harm. Just because this class and kind of the, the the way that I that I teach and frame this particular class, right, or this particular discussion, just because I'm framing it around how to facilitate that, doesn't mean that I think that that is the only way, right? There are people who are who are not ready or who don't want to release themselves or kind of disentangle themselves from that self-harm quite yet. It might still be a really important coping mechanism for them. It might be something that they really still want in their lives. And um, so that is something that, that has to be navigated in a bit of a different way, right? Especially when we're talking about potentially having a partner involved. So, um, you know, I, I do know folks who have gone to their partner and said, I, this is something that I still need in my life, but I also feel safer if you help me do it. There you know, I, I know that you won't go too far. I know that you will have control, right? If I'm in a, if I'm in a headspace where I am um, you know upset or kind of needing that, there is right? That's one of the, the very real risks of self-harm is potential kind of quote, real injury, right Unintended. Injury, And so there are people who will say to a partner, I would like you to essentially be my proxy, because that makes it feel safer, right? It's a form of harm reduction. And so um, I am by no means saying that that is bad. It, it serves a purpose, right? That's what we kind of talked about a little while ago. However, a lot of people do want to figure out how to kind of tease those things apart so that their masochism doesn't resemble their self-harm. And so that they can engage in scenes in a way that feels very different from kind of that place in their life when self-harm was occurring. That is where it really becomes helpful to kind of look to those differences, right? The differences in headspace, the different maybe the difference in like what's actually happening and things like that. So we talked about those overlaps earlier and the fact that there are so many overlaps makes it a little difficult because it can really resemble it. But looking to those differences can be really, really helpful. And most of the time people, which is a very frustrating answer, maybe again, most of the time people say it really feels different. There's a very internal feeling and sense that this is something that is different than the headspace that I was in around self-harm. And a lot of times we talk about what, the kind of the motivation for it looks like and what the after effects look like, right? Lots of times the motivation for self-harm may be to, to kind of, it might be to feel bad, right? It can be a reinforcing mechanism around kind of self-guilt or self-blame, a way to kind of, quote, punish yourself, right? Or, Um, accept kind of or misappropriate responsibility over things and kind of have some sort of physical um, representation of that. And it may you may kind of come out of it feeling really negative, right? A lot of times self-harm has a lot of shame associated with it. You may feel more isolated. You may not want to talk about it with people. You may hide markings and scars and things like that. It can be really isolating and have a lot of kind of negative after effects so if you think about the kind of the flip side of a lot of times masochists coming out of a scene it'll be like look at my thing look at this big bruise on me which i can't fucking show people because i don't bruise (laughs) we like to show them off yeah i know but so it's right it's it it becomes a very different kind of after effect but also a lot of times masochists step out of scenes feeling empowered feeling strong Right, feeling like I just I just like did that thing and it was amazing and I got through it and I'm badass. Like we call it conquering the mountain. Exactly. You you climbed up the mountain and you got over onto the other side. Yeah, so like that that's a really great indication for somebody who does have a history of self-harm that like this is a really different experience that you just had. And going into it, right? Thinking about, especially if you are kind of early on in this navigation. Right. Talking to your to your top and really saying, like, what do I want to get out of this? You know, do I want to feel strong? Do I want to feel like I did something that was really challenging and got through it? Do I want to feel owned? Do I want to, you know, just kind of what do I what do I want to get out of it? And really making that very clear, especially in your own mind, so that you kind of can go into that that scene, really recognizing this is a very different experience I'm embarking on. Is that kind of what you do in uh, in your actual therapy? Like you help people tease out the difference between those two feelings if they're questioning it? It can be, yeah. I mean, I think it, it definitely is a different process with everyone, right? That is something that um, a lot of times there's this, there, there's this whole, you know, fancy therapy model, but um, but it starts with permission, like it's an acronym, right? And it starts with permission. And a lot of times people just, need permission to be into what they're into or like just do things, right? So a lot of times people may come in and they may say like, am I, am I weird? Is there something wrong with me? I want to do X, Y, and Z, but I have some, I, you know, I feel some sort of way about it. And a lot of times that feeling starts to dissipate with someone just saying to them, that's totally fine. Like you are absolutely allowed to do that. You are absolutely allowed to be turned on by that. You are absolutely allowed to like get off on that, you know? And I think that that's a really powerful thing. So a lot of times that's, that's something that immediately starts kind of breaking down that stigma. Well, I know for me, one of the things that helps is talking to other people who feel the same way I do. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like alone, like there's something wrong with me because I feel this way. When I'm talking to like five or six other bottoms who have the same experience and now you start to think, okay, well, either there's the same thing wrong with all of us. Yes. Or maybe there's absolutely nothing wrong. We just like what we like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, right, there's there's such kind of comfort in solidarity across, right, across many different types of, uh, types of experiences. That's, I mean, group groups are amazing. Community is amazing. That's, that's one of the reasons that I think the kink community is so wonderful in many ways. You know, it's just, it's a place where people can feel less problem, you know, like less kind of stigmatized or pathologized or right. Like we, we get so many messages about, about kind of kink in the, in the non kink world that it's nice to be in a place where you're like yeah there are people like me are there any let's say signs for lack of a better word any any signs to look for that make that should make a masochist sort of stop for a second and go okay wait a minute am am i crossing the line now Yeah. So one of my favorite questions is, is how does something serve you, right? What, what place does it hold in your life? And what is it bringing to your life, right? Is it, is it enhancing your life? Again, do you kind of walk out of that scene feeling, feeling pleased with what just happened, feeling like it was positive? Or is it serving, you know, is it serving to make you feel like you're walking out of a scene and going, yeah, I might have deserved that because I might not be a great person. Right, that's that might not feel like it's serving you in a in a positive way. So I think a lot of times, really, really stepping back and saying like, "What role is this playing in my life? What do I come out? What do I go into it wanting to feel, and what do I come out of it feeling?" And the reality is that sometimes that can change. Right, sometimes um, you can enter a scene in what you think is a great headspace, and something flips, and it, and all of a sudden you got that little that little teeny thought. Right, of like, yes, you you know, you deserve to feel this bad or something like that, right? And it can change. And unfortunately, sometimes our brains just do that. Sometimes they're really mean to us, and sometimes that happens in the middle of something that we wanted to be good. And it's like it's okay. I would tell people, like, be gentle with yourself, right? Be gentle, see, you know, see how you feel about trying it again if that's something you want to do. And you know, think about how you want to kind of engage with your headspace and check in with yourself. So that you can have a different experience if that's what you want. What would you recommend to tell partners or even therapists that you're using pain on purpose as a coping mechanism, but you're doing it BDSM style? Like, (laughs) like how do you tell people that? Yeah. So, um, so with partners, um, I I think it's really important to be transparent with partners, right? Part of consent is informed, is being informed about what you're about to do. So for instance, right, we talked a little earlier about sometimes people people need somebody to be a proxy for th- for them and in kind of the self-harm process, right? Like that's going to be safer for them. So they, they need their partner to do that. Th- their partner also needs to consent to that, right? They need to know that they're, um, that, that that's part of the process that they're in. Right. I know people who have come out of scenes and not realized that they were participating in self-harm and it is, it's, it's been a pretty devastating experience for them. That was not mm-hmm. something that they wanted to participate in. Not because they didn't, they didn't want that person to be able to access their needs. Right. But that was not something that they were personally mentally prepared for. So, it is it if that is something that you need, you can absolutely engage your partner in in a thoughtful discussion about these are my needs. This is why I'm asking you to do this, right? It's really important that that it's consensual, right? Tops tops get to consent too. That's super important. Tops get to have limits, tops yep. you know, are have all of those those pieces of consent and autonomy and agency as well. When you want to navigate you know, trying to tease those apart and to engage in masochism that is that feels very different from self-harm, I think it can be really important to uh, kind of involve your partner in those conversations, or maybe not the right, you might have kind of work to do yourself, but really involve them in the thought process of like, this is how I check in with myself before a scene, right? This is how I know how I'm feeling. This is what it might look like when I maybe start to kind of switch my headspace during a scene, right? You may kind of have a recognition of, of what that physically looks like, um, you know, letting them know, like, we might discuss goals, I might have different goals for kind of what I want to experience or what I want to do. It also may play a part in kind of the actual things that you want to try, right? You know, sometimes people want to rewrite their stories. So if somebody used to cut themselves, so cutting is the, is the most common form of self-harm. There are, there are many, many, many ways it shows up, um, both physical and kind of behaviorally. But cutting is the most common. So I'm just going to use that as an example. Right. If somebody cuts themselves, they or used to cut themselves. They may want to rewrite that experience. Right. They may want to engage in a scarification scene. Or an or a knife play scene because they want to kind of re-experience that in a different way that feels like they have more agency, they have more autonomy, they have more control, and that it feels like now it's being kind of ri- written as a positive experience. Or vice versa, they may not want to, right? That that might be that might be so deeply associated with that they're like, you know what? I don't. I, that's not a type of play that I want, and that's fine. So it's really kind of checking in with yourself and saying, like, what what do I want? What do I not want? What is going to kind of be close to that line, right? Be like a little maybe frighteningly close to that line. And so, like, we're just going to stay away from that right now. And I think it's really important to kind of engage your partners in that conversation so they really understand kind of where it's coming from, not just, you know, if you just say, hey, I don't want knife play but you're doing, I don't know, maybe like a violet wand scene. Well, violet wands, depending on how you're using them, electricity can feel like cutting. Yep. Right. So, so like, that's, that's a great example of where it's really important to kind of communicate the why to a partner, not just like the actual kind of uh, logistics, right? Because um, that can be a place where, where they can also kind of help facilitate that experience. Um and then, <laughs> so therapy is tough, you know, it, there's, there are lots of barriers to access to therapy and all of, all of that things It can, you know, it can be really tough to find a therapist. It can be really tough to find a kink aware therapists, right? We know kinky people have a, a really high rate of feeling pathologized and judged in therapeutic spaces, which is, really awful. I've experienced it. I think pretty much everyone I know who is kinky has experienced it. And it's really unfortunate. So there are some places where you can specifically look for like kink-aware therapists. If this is something that, that affects you and that you want to work through in therapy, I really suggest looking for a kink, I would even say a kink-knowledgeable therapist. So one of the first places I like to start people is the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom has a Kink aware professionals directory. Um, it's a great resource. Sometimes it is a little limited depending on kind of where in the in the country or the world you are. But that's a place to start. And they have they have it broken down into, I think, friendly, aware, and knowledgeable, right? and And friendly is kind of, you know, hey, you can come in and talk about kink, and I'm not going to judge you but they might not really know kind of the nuances, right? Aware is kind of in between and knowledgeable is like, yeah, they have a really strong working knowledge of the kink community of BDSM, you know, maybe of DS dynamics or, you know, other types of power exchange dynamics. So for something like this, the more a therapist kind of really understands and knows about BDSM, I would say the better, because it is a little bit of a of a trickier situation. And it's just something that kind of requires somebody to have a more nuanced understanding of how people engage in kink and how they engage in pain play and things like that. I actually have two questions. So just going back to what you said before, um, I don't know if you know, but my big thing is actually violet wand and electricity play. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, if you ever want to, so what you said about if you depending on how you use the violet wand it can feel like cutting absolutely so you know how when you do even just sometimes just a little bit light setting depending on skin tone depending on what you can do you can literally get electrical burns on your skin Mm -hmm. just using the glass just using whatever would that still be in the same category as impact for self-harm they fade a lot more quickly so i think Probably depend on, on somebody's personal relationship with marking, right? How somebody, so the the uh, actual feeling of that stimulation, right? Violet wand is one of those things where it's like, except for maybe like touching the doorknob in the wintertime, it's, it's a very foreign sensation, right? We don't have much that's in our like day-to-day lives. That's really comparable. But that was actually electricians say to me, "I will not be doing that." I have already been shocked. I'm like, I'm like, dude, it's so different, right? There's the consent piece, right? (laughs) Yeah, as opposed to the rest of us who who walked into (laughs) coffee tables and whatnot at some point in our life and have been hit, so we know what that is like. I've touched, I've accidentally touched an electric fence. It's very different. Ow! <laughs> so I accidentally cool. got myself with my dog's e collar. I wasn't planning on. <laughs> I, I, mean, I never even. I never even touched the the zappy part of it. I was aiming. I was just. I was holding it upside down, the little clicker part, oh, and yeah. I was holding her collar to see if it was on. It <laughs> no, was on. I, I've heard of people actually putting that on humans. No, that's too. fucking stupid. Say, yeah. You don't put that shit. No. The okay, see. Just Somewhere. going by the thing, the reason they use it on dogs is because it has to get through a lot more. If you put it directly on skin, it's not good. Yeah, it does, it, it does mark, potentially. Um, <laughs> don't do that look. <laughs> it might be speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, you and I are uh, to chat after this. <laughs> so, actually, so Violet Wand was actually the first class I, I did ever. I Started a class called Bottoming for the Violet Wand because it's such a different exp- right. Like you can find things around your house. That's a wonderful look. You can find things around your house to like exemplify. <laughs> now now she's, she's judging you. <laughs> you can find things that are thuddy. You can find things that are stingy, Right. You can kind of approximate most other kink activities. But electrical play is so different, right? There's not a kind of a great analog. And I don't suggest sticking your finger in the socket to like f- think about if you'll like electricity, right? <laughs> so the whole point of that class was to kind of give people, especially folks on the on the right side of the slash, to give them more understanding and, and vocabulary to be able to like advocate for themselves about what they wanted. So like recognizing like, hey, these glass electrodes, you know, are going to f- kind of feel this way. If somebody breaks out something that is solid and metal, it's going to be a very different feeling, right? So, like, they had some more understanding and, and agency and ability to kind of advocate for what they wanted in those scenes. Anytime you want to do another class, I happily volunteer to help I'll out. T- totally, I'll do the Violet One class. Um, oh, I love teaching Violet <laughs> One. And the pandemic has put quite uh has had quite an impact on that because it's really hard to teach violet wand over zoom i mean i can teach i can teach most of my other classes over zoom but that you're just like yes hear that really crackly noise and the thing i would love for you i've I've been asked to do that i'm like how i did it 2023 i'm gonna get my classes (laughs) going back up and running again so okay figure something out but, I did okay, it once so or twice. It was fine. Definitely lacked something. It Anyhow, so do- It doesn't have the same power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're <laughs> <laughs> <You're> making <laughs> lecture jokes. <laughs> it, was um, it should be like a video. We could like finger point at each other. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> well, I actually did uh, an interview for another podcast about that. And I was trying to talk to the person on the other side of the, on the other side of the video who had the violet wand I was trying to talk to her about how to use it. And I was like, okay, well, do you see that little button? And then when you, when you touch the top part, no, don't do it with one finger. You don't want to do that. You want to like grab it like it's a dick. Just, you know, hang on to it for dear life. And she was, it was weird. I have never had to explain it to somebody like that before. It was so weird. Yeah, it's definitely doesn't necessarily translate via Zoom, but so, like, <laughs> looping back to kind of the initial uh, question, the things that tend to kind of snap people back into, like, a potentially negative headspace tend to be, like, sensation. Sometimes people can can be snapped back to that headspace with, like, a visual, right? Like, a, like a, if they see a mark that looks like something that was associated with self-harm, that might be something that they don't like, but it tends to more be sensation in terms of like massacre, or in terms of where the overlap might be. So, you know, things like cutting, um, burning, if somebody, if somebody kind of engaged in that. So Hmm. I, I don't think, I mean, right. Everybody is different. I have yet to find somebody who like the, the sensation of a violet wand especially with like a glass electrode, right? That more like tingly champagne bubble, um, sensation. I have never met somebody who like their headspace flipped around that into something negative. So, yeah. So I think if, if somebody is, if somebody kind of knows that they are really affected by sensation, right? That's something to, to watch out for and think about like, how are you gonna navigate this, right? Are you gonna try it in more of like a demo feeling space of like, hey, we're not, we're gonna kind of try to keep above head space, right? We're gonna not be super intense in a scene and like try some of these sensations and see how they feel, right? And then maybe use them in a scene later once we kind of know that they feel okay, right? They feel fine. Um, If somebody knows that they do get really activated or, or have some feelings, around seeing marks on themselves, that's where I would be a little more wary around violet wand stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and, you know, recognizing that like there are places on the body where they might be okay, right? They might say like, if you do it on my back, you know, then I have to like make the choice to go look in a mirror versus like just glancing down and kind of accidentally seeing it on my arm. Okay. So for me, the first time I ever – tried that the the person was using a mechanical and i don't think it was glass i think it might have been a stiletto
1: the Uh, metal long
0: spike thing and he drew it down my arm and it left like this lightning kind of looking burn it was like harry potter style on my arm yeah i was gonna say that's gonna leave a trail it did but the the headspace that i was in like it was too strong he definitely had it up way too strong for a first timer i was like okay Mm -hmm. damn dude Okay. So that's the other reason I started teaching Violet Wand classes, because I have, I know so many people who have had like, pretty negative experiences their first time with electricity. And so, yep. so like my goal when I'm demoing at events and things, I always tell people like, my goal is not to make you love Violet Wand, right? Sometimes people walk away and they're like, Oh, my God, I need this in my life. And sometimes people walk away just being like, that's not my jam. My goal is not to make you love Violet Wand, it's just to make sure you don't have a negative experience with it. Yeah, it's just not fearing it, right? Yeah. Well, I actually walked away and for the next like two days of this convention, I kept rubbing my arm on that spot. Mm-hmm. And just kind of going, ooh, mm-hmm. I like this. <laughs> so then my second question, I'm sorry, not trying That's to derail it. anything. No. You, were, you were talking about... Um, the therapist and everything and who to go see, Mm -hmm. would you recommend that for somebody who is kinky, but the therapy they want isn't necessarily about kink? So that's a great question. Um, And actually when I do like consultations for people, that's often a a question that they get, that they ask all the time of like, is this the right fit? Is this kind of what I need? So um, because I'm specifically a sex therapist, right? It's often people are coming to me specifically to talk, a little bit more about kind of things that fall in the sexual realm, but I also have plenty of clients who, who aren't necessarily talking about those things. So clients typically fall in kind of two buckets, let's say, um, one is people who come specifically to talk about kinky things, right? They might have a challenge. They might want to, you know, just, just explore and kind of navigate their own kink and their preferences, they might be starting um, a power exchange or authority transfer dynamic, right? They might just kind of be navigating things, they might have something that is challenging right now, right? It's going to be kind of kink or sex related. And then the other bucket is people who come to talk about just kind of, quote, unquote, like regular therapy shit, right? Depression, anxiety, um, you know, Challenges at work, challenges in a relationship, um, you know, self-esteem, their their own personal history, like all of those things that you would kind of think of somebody kind of typically going to therapy for. And they just they kind of want to work on that with somebody who won't pathologize their kink, right? Who won't be like, oh, well, maybe the reason you're anxious is because you want to be hurt or maybe the reason you're depressed is because you like to engage in humiliation play, right? Who won't just immediately kind of link it, link whatever they're experiencing to their kink. So that's often a a reason people seek out kink-aware therapists. It's just, you know, they want a space where they can, you know, refer to their partner as their S-type or their dominant or something, and it's not going to be a problem. Or they can say, you know, in the middle of, Being beaten the other day, I like had this really big cathartic release and I want to talk about that because I had this really intense experience. Um, You know, so I think that that's, that's a really important thing. It's really important to have a space to, to feel supported in whatever you're kind of trying to work through and not feel pathologized. So they should go with somebody who's more kink aware or kink knowledgeable? (laughs) That, that is kind of a, totally dependent on, on each person, right? For some people, it feels really important that their therapist is knowledgeable, like right, really has a, a kind of intense and, and nuanced understanding of like the ins and outs of kink, regardless of what they're talking about. And sometimes they just don't, right? Sometimes they're like, yep, I am totally fine with my therapist just being kink friendly and like not being judgmental, but they don't really have, you know, I'm fine kind of either cluing them in or... Letting them know, like, here's what you need to know kind of as we go, right? The okay. only thing I would say to be careful about with that situation is, is like, this is, you know, therapy is your time to work through stuff, not explain things to your therapist. Okay, valid point. Yeah I, had, and, um, that yeah, I actually went through therapy with somebody who wasn't kink aware, and I did spend a fair portion of the therapy session teaching. Mm -hmm. her about it, which it actually, for me, it worked out only because by teaching her, I sort of like was verbal, verbalizing and thinking out loud and the whole (laughs) whole process about, you know, is this something I want? Did I like it? And all of that. So it, it, but I happen to know this therapist because I'd worked with her before for one of my kids. So I think I'd rather go with either aware or knowledgeable because I like the idea of not having to explain. Yeah, well, it's different to I me mean, because I was talking, telling her about DS, and because part of why I was there was was more relationship-based okay. things. If I had to go talk to somebody now about, is there something wrong with me because I like to get hit with spiked paddles and bleed all over the place? <laughs> I probably would need to go to somebody who is kink knowledgeable. <laughs> well, clearly, you go with AJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's totally personal preference, right? Everybody has different. Everybody has different needs. Everybody has different kind of wants. Everybody has different goals from therapy. Those goals might change, you know, all of that. So it's it is really personal preference. And you may right just like partnerships, you may really click with somebody who kind of wasn't who you expected, right? You may find somebody who kind of has a very small understand or you know small knowledge base. Around kink, but like you just you just feel like really good with them. You feel like you really work well. You really trust them. that rapport is there. Like that's kind of the the basis for all of this is that therapeutic relationship. So if that you know that might override you know your desire for somebody to have um, to have that particular knowledge base. So it's it's really really personal. And I always like to tell people like don't be afraid to switch therapists. It's okay to ask for a consultation to talk to somebody on the phone and see how how you click with them. It's okay to try a session and then decide that it didn't feel like a good fit. It's okay to try a few sessions and be like, "You know what? I this was great. I want to try somebody else." You know, I I would be a little aware of like if if every time you start to get into like hard stuff, you're immediately switching therapists. That that might be something something else to, to think about. <laughs> avoidance would, that oh, would be avoidance. <laughs> exactly. But it's also okay to say like I I want to make sure that this is the 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 right place for me to process these feelings. All right. Well, I. I'm utterly fascinated by all this. Uh Uh-huh. And now I've got ideas for future episodes that we're going to have to bring AJ in for because we've had a lot of requests from a therapy side. Yeah, from Mm -hmm. me. Well, yeah, because you think I'm the crazy one, but you're not any more sane than I am, honey. Well... No, but I like knowing <laughs> the why behind stuff. You definitely like, know the why. That's always what I keep asking. Yeah. So we will, if you are willing, we would love to have you back for for more episodes to talk about the oh, intersection so of, of therapy and kink. Yeah, absolutely. That is that is one of my favorite things to talk about. So, okay. I really... um, if people are interested in finding out about some of your future classes, what's cool. where's the best place for them to? are down, question. so to speak. That's a great question. I'm not back to doing events quite yet so um yeah that's that you can find uh you can find our classes at the Pincus Center um on our website which is... Well, I'll I'll include all that information in the (laughs) show notes. So if you don't know it off the top of your head, don't worry about that. Yeah, I I, usually on, like, I do a lot of events, like cons and things like that. But I'm doing test effects next week, just vending to kind of like, see how it feels to dip my toe back into big events. But yeah. All right, well, I'll, in- I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes, including, <laughs> including the, the link to the Pinka Center so that people can look into classes. But thank you again. We oh, really my- appreciate this. I, I-, I know I've-, I've learned a lot. Me too. Oh, it was, it was my pleasure. I absolutely love- loved being here. It was great to-, to be able to talk with you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If you have a question you would like answered, or just have a story about the lifestyle you want to share, you can send us a voicemail and maybe it'll be shared in a future episode. Just go to pinkkinkpodcast.com to contact us. Follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Fat Life. We are Pink Kink Podcast. And on TikTok, we are the Pink Kink Podcast. Join our Facebook group, Pink Kink Podcast, and hang out with other pink kinksters. If you love what we do and are able to support us, we are on Patreon. Just look for us on patreon.com slash pink kink podcast and check out our pink kink swag available on our website, pinkkinkpodcast.com. Even if you can't show your support financially, there are other ways you can help. You can spread the word about our kinky podcast and tell your friends about us. You can also rate and review pink kink podcast on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen. The five star reviews really help us. And don't forget to subscribe to Pink Kink so you don't miss a minute of the fun. New episodes come out every Friday. So until next time, stay pretty, stay safe, and stay twisted.